0: Beena 007 here on Vassals of Kingsgrave, introducing you to a new podcast series, which will be an abridged reread of some of the key Agatha Christie novels, for no other reason than that she is the Queen of Crime, one of the best-selling authors of all time, and I feel has a lot to tell us about the evolution of social attitudes and of crime in the 20th century. And as we in England pause to reflect on the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and all the changes that have occurred in society during her reign of 70 years, I think Agatha Christie also gives us something to ponder in the role of women, of foreigners, of Britons, home and abroad. So I hope you'll join us on Vassals of Kingsgrave with a little reread. We're not doing all of her novels, um, but we will start with the most famous that set her on her course, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. And if you haven't read it before, you're in for a real treat. It has an absolutely ingenious uh, twist at the end of the tale, and nearly a century since its first publication. It definitely deserves your time. But maybe to tempt you to join us along on this path, I thought I would do a quick standalone introductory podcast about The Mysterious Affair at Stiles, which is the first novel that Agatha Christie had published in 1921, but she actually wrote it in 1916 during World War I. And as a little bit of context, Agatha Christie was born in 1890, so during the Victorian era, the last of our long reigning queens before Elizabeth II. And she was raised in rather an affluent middle-class family in a coastal town in England. But her father died when she was very young. And so money was really an issue. And this, I think, gives her a really acute ear and eye for financial troubles and stresses behind the seemingly perfect country houses that many people think all of her detective novels are set in, but actually they aren't. She wasn't sent to school. She had no formal education, but she was a voracious reader and wrote stories and plays. She was cripplingly shy, though, so she would act out all her stories, including Mysterious Affair at Stiles and other of her detective fiction, by speaking aloud to herself and then writing down the dialogue. Before the war, World War I that is, in 1914, she was incredibly pretty and had lots of suitors, some of whom were incredibly wealthy, but she decided to marry the rakish and dashing Archibald Christie, who therefore gave her the second name, Agatha Christie. Um, but he immediately went off to fight in World War I and she became a volunteer nurse and therefore worked in a dispensary at a local hospital and learnt about um, poisons and other pharmaceuticals which obviously would feed into her detective fiction and and won her great praise as someone who really knew scientifically what was going on in her novels and with some of the methods of murder that she deployed particularly in this first novel the mysterious affair at Styles*. So as we meet Agatha Christie she is writing a novel in a period of absolute international political tumult not unlike our own where great superpowers are shifting and alliances are forming and wars are are in place and there are great humanitarian crises and, and refugees um moving in great numbers throughout europe so despite the fact that this was written over 100 years ago i feel it does have great resonance And also written at a time of great suspicion of the other, of foreigners, of people who aren't quite like us. So again, Agatha Christie completely with her finger on the pulse. Also written at a time when women were joining the workforce to replace the men who had been conscripted to fight. So in this novel, we have a young girl called Cynthia, who is like Agatha Christie, working as a volunteer nurse in a hospital. We also have Mary Cavendish, um, wife of John Cavendish, who is working the land, working on a farm from the early hours of the morning till night to make sure everyone has enough to eat, which again, in a time of war where food scarcity is becoming an issue, is really relevant. So I feel that Agatha Christie, despite her reputation as being very conservative socially, actually has a lot to say about modern new women who are forced because of financial insecurity or political tumult into the workplace and have to forge a path um, for themselves. And she also has something to say about the type of households that she writes about. So in the mysterious affair of Styles*, the victim, and I'm not spoiling anything because the murder occurs very early on, is the incredibly rich Mrs Inglethorpe, who really is the matriarch of a family. And I said before, Mary Cavendish, her stepdaughter-in-law works on the farm, um, her ward works in a hospital, but actually her stepsons don't really do anything. They are the the sort of old school landed gentry who've attempted a career in the law or in medicine, but have given it up and just live off... um, the sort of the income of the estate so really it is the women who are driving the action driving the financial stability of the house and in the person of evelyn howard running the house day to day and in the persons of annie and dorcas running it practically as the maids so this may look like a sort of twee heritage detective story set in a country house but actually it's depicting quite a radical setup um, for its time So I'm going to take a break there. Hopefully I have given you something to inspire you to maybe go read the book. It's only 230 pages long. You can read it in a couple of hours. It's like an ingenious little puzzle mystery. Or you can watch the brilliant and very faithful ITV adaptation of the novel um, starring David Suchet as Hercule Poirot. It was originally aired in 1990, but so you can find it on all sorts of streaming platforms. So if you want the... The slightly shorter version you can watch the adaptation. Um, what I'm now going to speak to is about the plot of the novel very briefly so if you don't want to be spoiled switch off here. Okay so the mysterious affair at Stars begins with the murder of Mrs Inglethorpe who is an old lady in her 70s And she has recently married her much younger male secretary, Mr Inglethorpe, who everyone thinks is a bit of a bounder, partly because he's married an old woman for her money. In the house also living are her two stepsons who are entirely dependent on her for money. And the elder stepson, John, is married to his wife, who seems very dissatisfied, called Mary. They also have their ward, Cynthia staying with them, a young girl who's a nurse. So that is the sort of closed house mystery. But in addition, we have Dr. Bauerstein, who we will discover is a refugee or an immigrant from Germany during the time of World War I. So immediately suspicious and an expert in toxicology. We also have Evelyn Howard, who is Alfred Inglethorpe's uh, cousin and runs the house. That's how Mrs. Inglethorpe got to know him. Um, And she's very practical and says that she cannot stand this new husband and that he's taking advantage of his wife, her dear old friend. And we also have the person who's going to narrate the novel, Captain Hastings, who will really be Watson to Achille Poirot's Sherlock Holmes. And you have to remember at the time that Agatha Christie wrote this, Sherlock Holmes novels were still being published by Arthur Conan Doyle, albeit reluctantly. So she's writing in the shadow of Sherlock Holmes, Conan Doyle. And also, I feel some of the comic elements of this book, particularly in the persona of Captain Hastings, have a little bit of a P.G. Woodhouse, um Worcesterish air about them. So she kind of gently mocks the narrator who thinks he's quite clever and quite dashing, but is routinely found to be um, far beyond the pace or behind the pace of Hercule Poirot, the famous Belgian detective. And is rebuffed in his amorous advances on Cynthia. So he's a a bit of a bounder. And I think also one has to be very careful when Agatha Christie puts rather regressive attitudes, knee-jerk prejudices in the mouth of Captain Hastings. We must be careful not to read those as her own prejudices. So, for instance, he is suspicious of Inglethorpe because he doesn't dress right and he has a large beard. And he is suspicious of Dr. Bauerstein because he is foreign. He comments on the fact that Mary Cavendish's mother is Russian and that that explains something deficient in her character. So there are all sorts of prejudices that Hastings um You know repeats which would have been very common for people of their time which is not to excuse them but i do not think that agatha christie necessarily shares those and we can see that in the fact that she chooses to foreground as her detective a belgian refugee and she speaks very movingly of the fact that the little village in england where this murder is set has a house filled with seven or eight Belgian refugees that Mrs. Inglethorpe has done a great deal to get over to England to safety at a time of the German invasion. So um, she has chosen this man who is seen as a very dapper, very particular, probably a little bit OCD, rather comical in some people's eyes, maybe even Hastings' eyes. He is very un-English, but she thinks he is to be admired and respected. And she thinks that people who underestimate him do so um, at their own peril. So I think that is deeply significant and makes a big change, right, from all of these famous um, detective writers, Wilkie Collins, Conan Doyle. Um, You think of people like Sherlock Holmes or Peter Whimsey. They are very English, very establishment, often very upper class. Akil Poirot used to be a communal garden policeman in Belgium, admittedly a brilliant one. So it is very, I think, daring and brilliant of her to make Poirot her detective. As the murder unfolds, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because I think there is still joy to be had in sort of figuring out the intricacies of how she puts her logical and material clues together we realise that Mrs. Inglethorpe has been poisoned by strychnine, but the complete flummoxing thing here is that strychnine is a poison that acts very quickly. So people are trying to figure out, was she poisoned in her post in a coffee? Was she po- poisoned in her evening hot chocolate? Um, because she actually died in the early hours of the morning, and they can't figure out why this has taken place. And what you come to realise is that she has been poisoned because her medicinal tonic, someone has inserted potassium bromide powders and they precipitate the strychnine that's very diluted in her tonic and it settles at the bottom of the bottle so that when she takes the fatal final dose of her seemingly harmless tonic, she then is poisoned by the strychnine, which I just think is absolutely ingenious. Some modern readers argue that this isn't playing fair with the reader because it's such specialised knowledge and it makes me think that I also am rather old and old-fashioned in the education I received because one of the very first experiments we ever did in school in chemistry was um, to precipitate crystals using potassium bromide. So I think this is probably something Agatha Christie would have thought was familiar knowledge, even to those without pharmaceutical knowledge. And in fairness to the reader, she does lay in that knowledge through the character of one of Mrs. Inglethorpe's stepsons who was studying to be a medic. So it is laid in there. The other thing that might feel a little bit um, hard for a modern reader to get there their sort of head around is the idea that there is a incriminating piece of evidence which is a letter written by the murdered woman's younger husband who is indeed the man set up to inherit her fortune which he duly does and which provides the motive for the murder and he has to at some point go back into their shared office and rescue this incriminating letter and he doesn't know where to hide it because people are all around him So he can't keep it on his person he can't burn it it's the middle of summer there is no fire this is significant elsewhere in this novel and so what he does is he quickly tears it up and rolls it into little long strips of paper that he puts on the mantelpiece because in old fashioned homes of the time you had long strips of paper called spills and these were used to light fires um, also used to light cigars, and if you're of my age and you did chemistry in school and had Bunsen burners, you used spills to light the Bunsen burners. So knowledge that might seem a little bit, I don't know, specialist to a modern younger reader. Nonetheless, I do hope that there is lots to hold the attention if you do choose to read this book, because the plot is so intricate, and it doesn't rely entirely—the pleasure of this book—on the material clues such as candle wax spills and and bromide powders, which are very old-fashioned, it doesn't rely on you having knowledge of that. It relies actually on psychology. And this is what I love about Agatha Christie, because her motives are usually very simple and very almost primordial insofar as they often stem from money or sex. And, you know, people can think, again, that Agatha Christie is very chocolate box and English villages and unreal and safe, but she's not. The entire plot of this novel is all about sexual jealousy and sexual passion. And you have that in the character of Mary Cavendish, who is sexually jealous of her husband, who's having an affair. You have it in the character and cover-up of John Cavendish and the ward Celia, um, who he thinks has done it and is trying to protect her, therefore laying up some red herrings. But in particular, you have it in the character of the two murderers who, in a book filled with highly attractive people that Captain Hastings cannot fail to see as attractive, you have two people who many people think of as 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 completely unattractive. Um, Inglethorpe, the husband, because he has this long black beard and glasses that he wears and he's seen as a bit of a bounder. And Evelyn Howard, who is the almost... Um, asexual housekeeper-cum-friend of Mrs. Inglethorpe, who is seen as very manly, very butch, very almost militaristically straightforward in how she speaks. One cannot conceive of either of them really being people of passion, and yet they are. And Poirot points this out again and again. He says that Evelyn Howard's hatred of uh, Mr. Inglethorpe is notable and disproportionate, and, he, and it's a theme in Agatha Christie novels that people who seemingly hate each other, there isn't a big difference between hate and love, because both are quite passionate um, feelings. So I feel that Agatha Christie um, is actually really interested in relationships between the sexes. She's really interested in the muddying nature of financial insecurity. And remember, she's writing at a time of World War One, as we go through the wars, Real financial insecurity of the working and middle classes and upper classes as society is radically changing in how it's organized from very being very class and high bounds to much more democratic and egalitarian, and the establishment becoming unmoored and much more uncertain about its role um, and you know the idea that in this very quaint picture box English village you have foreigners you have people coming in who are unknown. Um, you have a John buchan spy. You have the Belgian refugees who are on very precarious circumstances, right, and deserve um, compassion and charity. So I think she's writing about something far more interesting than people might at first glance think. Of course, you know, this is a novel of its time and people of their time, as we know with George R.R. R. Martin, um, espouse attitudes subconsciously of their time. And there are things that read uncomfortably to a modern reader beyond the knowledge of potassium bromide powders. So, for instance, there is a plot point that hinges on a dressing up box, which, again, might seem you know, quite foreign to modern readers. But this idea that, you know, when I was a kid, you had a box of old clothes and bits and bobs. And if you were doing fancy dress, you'd go in there for a dress or a wig or whatever it is. And a servant comments on different dressing up parties they've had and how people would dress up as Orientals with scimitars or as Native Americans using far more, um, well, probably Native American isn't the right phrase to use either. And even, which is really hard to read as a modern reader, the idea that someone who was white would use burnt cork to basically put on blackface. So that's obviously very uncomfortable to read. It's obviously also uncomfortable when Mary Cavendish pretends that she's flirting with Dr. Bauerstein, that the first thing her husband reacts to that knowledge with is not how awful that you're having an affair, but, oh, with a Polish Jew. It's the comments about Mary's Russian um, parent making her different from an English person. So, yes, there are some very uncomfortable Points of reading, which I think are informative, right? I don't think you should edit them all out of books. I think it's important to understand the background um, cultural and political currents that people were living in in 1916, particularly in Europe, particularly in the build up to what would happen in Nazi Germany. But for those of us living in England with rather often a complacent view that it couldn't have happened here. Well, let's see the commonplace, easygoing, daily anti-Semitism that was woven into sort of seemingly every occasion. So I think there's so many rewarding ways to read this book. It works absolutely brilliantly as a puzzle mystery. It's kind of nuts to think this is the first novel of a new, but obviously going to become brilliant detective writer. I think it has interesting things to tell us about the role of women during World War II and And the opportunities that um, changing social times give us. It tells us something unpleasant about um, political prejudice in that period but I think it also tells us something really interesting about the kind of writer Agatha Christie wanted to be and the openness she had towards changing society which is kind of shocking given her upbringing in a very quiet part of a very quiet part of England in a very closed society. So I don't know if that gives you a little taster for what's to come with the Agatha Christie reread or partial reread. I am personally going to read all the books, even though we'll only be covering um, some of the most famous and better quality ones in this series but as I said if this whets your appetite do pick up a copy of the murder of Roger Ackroyd*, because that is the first one we'll be doing um, with a group of readers hopefully um, and I hope you'll bear with us as the series progresses in the meantime you can find Vassals of King's Grave on our discord server if you find us at VOK podcast on twitter you can find the link to that server In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful day and happy reading whatever it is that you might choose to read. Bye, everyone.